Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Daryl Sangster. So Daryl and I have known each other for over 20 years now. In fact, we used to play hockey against each other 30 years ago. So it's been multiple decades in the making of our friendship, of our business relationship. Uh, he's been a client of mine. I've been a client of his. In fact, bought many of his products from the uh, franchise company that his his family used to own and started called Sangster's Health Centers. And, you know, Daryl brings a wealth of experience in his current capacity of what he does, which is as a mentor, a coach, um, an advisor to franchisors that have franchisees underneath them. So they're aspiring to grow. They're aspiring to increase their profits, to, you know, build a, an amazing core culture within their company. And, you know, what Daryl does is he brings in that wealth of experience of being through all of those experiences as a franchisor himself, the highs and the lows and everything in between. He's had a multi-million dollar business. He's gone to the bank and got a million dollar loan. You know, he's experienced what it's like to be just so driven and so passionate about your work that it absolutely consumed him at one point in his life and how he dealt with that from a work-life balance perspective too. And we actually spoke a lot about that as a as a concept, right? Knowing that as entrepreneurs, if you're an entrepreneur, you'll probably relate to this, that, you know, we get so passionate about our work and our identity tied to our work. And then it's almost impossible to turn it off, right? So therefore, when we have families and we have, you know, vacations that we take, it's really hard to turn it off. At least that's the story that we tell ourselves. And then life happens and you go through these roller coaster moments and you get punched in the face, uh, literally and figuratively, and you start to see things in a different light, right? So this is one of the uh, values and benefits of having a mentor along the way. I've hired many mentors. Daryl is a mentor to franchisors that are in the situation that he's been in before himself with decades of experience. And what we really spoke about was you know, his journey through that entire thing, you know, how he's really uh, learned to become uh, the leader that he is. And, and just reflecting back on the fact that a lot of his leadership qualities were instilled in him very early in his childhood by his dad, right? So we talk a lot about his dad, who's no longer with us right now. He's an amazing man, really, uh, you know, astute and powerful businessman, but also somebody that was just character-wise, just salt of the earth, you know, uh, thought of people first, and Daryl inherited all of those qualities. But naturally, he's become the leader that he is through his own experiences as well. So I think anybody listening to this will get a lot of value from just you know hearing about Daryl's story, hearing about the highs and the lows and everything in between, and just being able to put a perspective on it of you know reflecting on like what's most important. What are we ultimately trying to do here as men in this world, as parents, as you know business owners? And, you know, how this can ultimately translate into serving other people. And again, that's one of the major concepts of me doing this podcast is to bring people to you that tell vulnerable, honest stories, the whole messy journey, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, so that you can take away some of those lessons and apply them into your own life as well. So let's go ahead and give this one a listen. Daryl Sangster, welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show. So good to be chatting with you again. I know we saw each other like, geez, it was almost a month ago now, but um, 
always good to have conversations with you. And I'm looking forward to this as well. Likewise. So am I, Trev. Thank you very much for this invite here. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to find out what we're going to chat about here today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And to, to give you a little bit of that context, obviously, you know a bit about kind of the, the foundation of why I created this podcast. But for anybody that may be watching for the first time, you know, I really created this to be able to have vulnerable, honest conversations, share the messy journey, uh, both to serve myself and my own journey and to be able to have some, you know, insight into what other people have been through, but also for anybody else that'll be listening to understand just, you know, how to navigate this crazy world, not just business, but even personal life and everything in between. So you and I have talked lots before we've known each other for 20 plus years now. Um, we've worked together, we've played hockey together, we've had dinners together, we've, we've done a lot of things together. And um, you really do have a pretty incredible story of not only in the business side of things, but even how you've navigated things over the years, personally, relationships, being a dad, all of that kind of stuff. And we've had so many great conversations, you know, not recorded. And now here we are to uh, ho- hopefully have some of those similar conversations. So maybe ground us really quickly and then and I'll let you respond to this. But um, there's a quote by Brene Brown where she says, one day you will tell your story about how you overcame what you went through and it will be somebody else's survival guide. So that's a bit of a foundation to kind of ground us in, you know, the bigger purpose why of what we're doing here. Yeah. I, I think everybody... Um, has their their own struggles and and their own story that that is deep and, and is you know if they're lucky enough uh, in the entrepreneurial world to hit some home runs but also to strike out a, a ton and and it hurts and it sucks and 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 yet when you hit those home runs and those grand slams they're amazing and you know I you know like you, you touch base of course I have children I have three daughters um, you know I, I preach that to them. That you know, you have to take those risks. You have to, yes, they have to be um, educated. They have to be thought through. You have to think about what the downside is if it doesn't work as planned. Uh, but still, take those risks. Sometimes you're going to hit those home runs, and sometimes you're just going to strike out, and it's it's going to hurt, and and you're going to be embarrassed. And but that's all part of the 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 process. To like, you can live yeah. your life. Uh, swinging and hitting base hits all your all your life long, but and and never hit a home run and and yet you know I I had an entrepreneurial uh, father and um, you know he taught me that big piece which was you know what don't don't be afraid to fail like it's okay it's yeah it hurts you get embarrassed but but at the end of the day it is really cool when you do hit some home runs and and you know I failed big and I've I've hit some big home runs and, and I'm proud of both. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, just to even have a conversation with you here on this today is exciting. Yeah. And I think one of the things we'll naturally dive into is those moments where maybe you, you had a goal that you set out to achieve, you achieved it. And in some cases it felt amazing because you're like, Oh, I planned this thing and I made it happen. And then I don't know about you, but personally, there's been times where I've set goals and I've got there and went, hmm, what's next? You know, like, okay, yeah, that wasn't that great. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost uh, that absolutely. disappointment even. Yeah. You know, I, I was just in a conversation with a gentleman yesterday and um, I was sharing a little bit of, of my background. And in that, um, you know, on, on this topic, what what really came out of that is, 
you know, well, five, six years ago, I moved out to the Okanagan. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time in my life, um, I was franchisor and, and, you know, a huge team of, of staff. I probably had 60 staff, you know, between manufacturing and, and distribution and franchise head office and corporate retail stores. And I moved out here and I was overlooking. Uh, so I bought a house out here, 180 degree view of Okanagan Lake, right across from downtown. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember sitting out there in my hot tub on a balcony at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night and going, wow, this is my life right now. And mm-hmm. proud, right? Like just, just proud that it's like, wow, you know, all that work, I, like, look where I am right now. I, I was proud of that. But on that same thread, hitting that, that level of, of financial success, you know, fast forward literally about a year past that moment of, of being excited. I was like, I, I, I knew I had to reset my life. I, I knew mm. it wasn't fulfilling. It, my goal was professional status and growth and financial stability and, and you know, be able to have these toys and, and afford the big house and go on these trips, which was amazing. And, and it, it came with the money. But what, what most entrepreneurs don't talk about and what I didn't know as a young entrepreneur was when I was just chasing that, that almighty dollar, I finally got to a level that I was really proud of, but I was an empty soul. I, you know, um, back in Saskatoon, there was an acquaintance that had a heart attack in his kitchen. Um, you know, his wife, um, takes him to the hospital. And, and here I am at that point in my life, about 40 years old and going, you know what, if I don't change something, that's going to literally be me. And then that was that moment of going, you know what, all this financial success, if, if I can't enjoy any of it, then what really is the purpose of it? If, if I'm not around for my kids, if I like, we, you know, the kids and, and, and the wife and the family gets to enjoy this financial benefit. But if I'm not part of that equation, then what is the real purpose of what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. I was just making some notes here because there's a few directions I want to take us on that, but there's a, a quote that, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about a lot on the interviews that he does, where he says that like we can choose to shift our being, our thought process, our, you know, the way that we react to situations, self-regulation, that type of thing, in a state of uh, chaos and disease and despair, or we can do it in a state of happiness and bliss and joy, right? And it kind of, you know, alludes to what you're saying there, which is a lot of times it takes almost a catastrophic event in our lives to have us go, whoa, why am I doing this? And what is the ultimate, like what I'm doing, I'm saying that I'm doing this for my family yet I'm burning myself out. And I know, and we'll go down this path, I'm sure, because you were commuting a lot back then. And you know, the, the transition from where we're both from in Saskatoon out to the Okanagan came with this level of excitement of like, all right, I'm moving to the Okanagan because for anybody that, doesn't know that's watching this because now there's people all over the world, but like it's literally, you know, the paradise area of Canada, right? You're everybody aspires to live here. You visit once and you're like, man, I got to live there, right? So you actually like achieve that. And yet you were just so into your business and working so much that there was other parts of your life that were, that were suffering. And it kind of, 
you know, speaks to all, all of that stuff and why this conversation is so important. So um, anything come up for you there? And then I, and then I really do want to jump back, like back to like when we first met even too, and just talk about that, Daryl, and what transpired over those like 15, 20 years leading it to Kelowna. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, really stuck out or does stick out in, in that period is uh, the fact that I was able to be physically present at my kids' recital. So, so it wasn't as if I was a deadbeat dad and unable to do that. But what nobody ever really talks about is that I was never mentally present. Right. And that's seven days a week, yeah. 365 days a year. Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Yes, Holidays. I was, physically, I was yeah. physically at home with my wife and my children, but I wasn't mentally there. I, I was so pressured and consumed with this, this professional goal of, I got to keep growing. I got to keep acquiring. I got to keep building this, whatever it is I'm doing. And, and I remember at one point, my, my own mother even questioned, she said, why, why do you keep buying things and, and building these things? Like, mm. you got enough, slow down. And I, you know, and, but again, I was so full of, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And, and even though, again, people can tell you to slow down and people can, like you said, it's, you, you have to experience it. You have to run into that wall and go, you know, this isn't for me. Like yeah. I, I just like today, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in no way ashamed of how much less I make today than what I did. I'm happy today. I can golf today. I can sit on, on a Saturday afternoon with you and have a beer on a patio and enjoy the entire two hour experience without yeah. thinking about work, without, you know, having all this consume me. And, mm -hmm. and to me, that's, that's that balance. I, I knew I needed it. I just didn't know what the trigger was going to be to get me there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's maybe tell that timeline a bit. And I'll just mention too, because I'm going to link this up in the show notes, but just last night I was actually watching a video. It's, it's no secret, like Google and Facebook, all of these different tools, they have algorithms that feed you exactly kind of the path that you're down. So I see a lot of inspirational stuff because I consume a lot of these things, but there's a guy by the name of uh, Gabar Mate, who's actually based in Vancouver, but, and he speaks a lot about trauma and that type of thing. And he was on an interview with, um, uh, on London Real, and he was speaking about what you're talking about, this idea that like when you are so driven and you have a value around entrepreneurship and, and your identity is attached to it, and then you're good at it, you just keep going and you, and you naturally have a really hard time stopping, right? So the host of this interview was talking about how, you know, he'd be on vacations, but he'd never be really truly present. And he actually, like he admitted there, he's like, I had to get out after three to four days. Like we'd be on seven day vacations and his wife would stay back and he'd go back because he just literally couldn't slow down enough. And it was a moment where he was actually quite emotional about it because he was thinking to himself like, oh, that doesn't seem like what I ultimately want. And that's what Gabber said to him too. He's like, is that the life that you want? And he's like, no. He goes, well, then this is the thing that we get to work on, right? You work on building your skills as an entrepreneur. We get to also be conscious to the moments of when you should be slowing down and actually sit in the uncomfortableness because it is like, let's just be honest when you're like us, because you and I are very similar that way. We actually love what we do. So we don't think of it as work. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're hundred percent right. Like, yeah. 
you know, when, when I ended up uh, selling um, to, to basically reset my world. And uh, that was my exit was, you know, I, I, the only option I have is to sell and then mm-hmm. I can reassess my life. Mm-hmm. So I ended up selling, but in that early 2018, absolutely. That's when like, you're sitting there. I like, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? What, <laughs> what? And to, um, uh, follow up on, on one of the points that you had mentioned about, um, you know, when, when you're young and, and, you know, you're, you're fueled by this growth. Um, there, there was a point I remember I was about 34 years old and I went to the bank and asked them for over a million dollars. And I remember like in hindsight, I, I, I'm sitting there and, and I don't know if it was arrogance, if it was cockiness, like who, who I thought I was. And, and, but, but then, you know, fast forward another year later, I get it. And now all of a sudden, and it's like, wow, like, you know, they're, they're lending you a lot of money on these things. And then once that door was opened, I'm like, wow, I can go back to the bank and, and ask for some more and, and buy this and acquire this. And before I knew it, you know, the, the amount of, of borrowing and, and real estate and business that you have is, is massive. And that weight and that um, it's like, wow, you know, every month I have to afford a lot just to, yeah. <laughs> just to make, just to make my payments on all this. And then you start to think, well, what, what's going to happen if, if I have a bad month or what's going to happen if I, you know, have a bad quarter yeah. and you know, that's the stuff that, that is killer. And then that takes you away from all the reasons why you got in the business in the first place. If all you know, my time was being consumed with, you know, well, geez, you know, what if this happens? And, you know, if, if I can't do this, what's going to happen? And, and, you know, and then, then it became a place of, of fear and just working just to pay the bank. And, and then it took all the fun out of why we were actually working to work in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because it actually allows for a nice transition into telling a bit about your background. Because now, of course, you are a uh, a consultant, a coach, a mentor, a trainer to people that are franchisors. So people that have the franchise company and they're looking to, you know, get franchisees on board and ultimately scale what they're doing, increase profitability, all, all of the elements of ultimately growing a franchise business, and. I know we've worked together and I understand your business, but I want other people to as well. You know, we, we kind of joked about it at first saying like, you know what? You're kind of like the franchise wolf, meaning like, you know, the Pulp Fiction movie, you come in, you say, you know, go clean that thing up and we'll put this over here and now stand in the backyard and let me hose you down with, with some water and you're good, you know, and then you go off for breakfast. But um, it's really true, you know, like it's one of those things that I know personally, I didn't even know that I needed a mentor. And one that ultimately like could really guide me and help me avoid certain mistakes. Like it was even less so much about like what they could tell me to do to do things right. It was more about just the insight they could provide on like, well, here's my perspective. This is what I went through. This is what happened. I'm not saying it's going to happen for you, but it's just having a guide, somebody to like walk you down that path, you know, and it's just an invaluable resource to have, especially as a CEO owner, because everything you're saying, I'm sure the people that get it will probably just be nodding going like, Oh yeah, man. Oh, I'm in the middle of that right now. Oh man. Million dollars. Yeah. Geez. I just went and got $2 million. You know what I mean? So let's maybe tell everybody the, the story of um, 
how you got into business and ultimately had the family franchise. And of course, your dad, I want to talk about your dad a bit too. Uh, Sangster's Health Centers was the thing back in the day that you committed all of your time to. And that was like early 2000s, right? You want to maybe just tell a bit of that story? And Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, you and I played hockey against each other and, and with each other, um, you know, in our early years. Um, after, after that hockey, uh, yeah, my parents had uh, Sangster's Health Centers. And it was a company that uh, they had started back in the 70s. Um, you know, it, it went... The root of, of all corporate stores. I think dad had um, up to eight or, or 10 corporate stores in the 80s. And then he read some information about franchising. And that was the, then he was like, wow, you know what, maybe I can sell these and, and be the franchisor. And then that led into the 90s. And then there was the big uh, quick fix pill era where everybody wanted the, the magic, you know, weight loss pill and, and our industry uh, took off that he had a lot of expansion throughout that 10 years of the, yeah. the 90s. And then in early 2000s, he was approached by a public company, Planet Organic, who wanted to uh, buy him out. And at that time, um, my older sister and myself were working in the company. And I remember my, my parents sat us down and said, you know, do you guys want to buy out the company instead of us selling it to them? And we were really young at that point. And, you know, we're like, you know what, this is your retirement. You guys go ahead, sell it. You know, they, they want to sign us to four year employment contracts. You know, at that time we were in our, you know, mid to late twenties. So yeah. We weren't worried about anything. We were just starting our lives. And so then it was like, you know what, you guys sell and, and we're good. We, you know, we're young enough. We'll, we'll keep working somewhere. So then in 2004, uh, dad sold to Planet Organic and, and nothing changed from the, the brand. The ownership, of course, changed, but that's it. Um, he was running the company. You know, I was in a, a VP role um, and we ran with that. And then in 2008, my dad retired. And then uh, Planet Organic accepted me as president of the Sangsters division, which mm -hmm. was part of their public company. So then that really got me into the high level, the, the leadership role of that organization and then as a company, they, they over-leveraged. And um, in 2008, the economy collapsed um, and uh, they had borrowed uh, a lot of money to buy another division in the States and they couldn't make their payments. So then they, there was starting to be these talks on these high-level meetings of selling Sangsters. So then mm. I had said, you know, and again, fast forward from the moment uh, my dad sold in 2004 to 2010 when I bought it, you know, those six years in between there, two of which I was already running the company. So I knew where it was making money. I knew where it was bleeding. Um, you know, it was really just the uh, ownership is, is the one piece that would change if I ended up buying it. So I yeah. put my hat in the mix and, you know, talking as, as entrepreneurs um, in hindsight, it took me nine months and four offers to close that deal. Mm. Um, three times, what that means is three times I walked in my front door to my wife and said, I'm fucked. I, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm going to be, be fired. I'm going to be let go. The deal's falling apart. Yeah. Uh, if, if I was another buyer, I would get rid of the head of the snake first, which is me. And I yeah. would bring in my own values and my own direction and my own leadership and, 
and do that. And, and so the emotional roller coaster was massive. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it at the time. In hindsight, it was, it was a, a learning experience. I would never trade for anything in the world because it taught me so much about negotiations and big negotiations and, yeah. and having that, that confidence to walk away. Like when it took me nine months, but at about seven months, we were into about December, early January of 2010 and the deal still wasn't closed. And I was $26,000 into my personal line of credit, mm. nothing to show for it. That was, that was all money that I was funding to my lawyers and accountants to protect myself if the, if I was able to purchase this. Yeah. And, and at that moment thinking like, I like, this is a lot of money and I have zero to show for it. It's, it's no different as if I took it and just dumped it down the toilet. Like, yeah. like I, I don't even have an offer. It's dead. It's all, it's off the table. The deals, you know, and then after that third offer fell apart, it was, it was mid January of 2010. I went to my dad's and we stand, we, we stood outside in his driveway and I said, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I'm, mm. you know, and he said, you know what? He says, negotiations, it's, 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 it's a fight. He says, you got to hit them with a two by four. He said, mm-hmm. they need some money. He says, do you have the ability to increase your down payment, your, your deposit with your next offer? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, okay. He says, double your uh, down payment and let them know that you'll release the funds immediately tomorrow if, if they accept it. Like yeah. it's, it's that fast. And he says, you drop your um, purchase price again. And so then yeah. each offer, I dropped my purchase price. And yet each offer, I convinced myself that it was the perfect price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, and it's funny, but it was that that got me into. Um, so, of course, when I submitted that fourth one, uh, I sent the money through the next day, uh, just like dad had, had uh, thought. And, and they took me up on it. And the one thing, the, the confidence piece that I needed to hear um, in his driveway was, I, you know, I was, I was struggling with, you know, do I, do I even put in another offer? Don't I? And he said, if you don't buy it, I will. <laughs> and, 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 you know, he'd been out of the game and yeah. just to have that much confidence, that's all I needed to hear was, okay, you know what? Like I shouldn't be worried about it. I, it's not as if we don't know the business, like, you know, yeah. we, we know every aspect of the business. We we're, we're the only family members that have been running it this entire lifespan of at that time, 35 30 plus years. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And then that got me into uh, the Sangster's ownership. And then uh, quickly, uh, right after that, um, I bought a, uh, a manufacturing facility in Saskatoon. And that one, I, I was tapped out financially. Uh, because I just, I, I liquidated everything to get into this business. And then an offer comes through and this guy is selling his manufacturing business, but I look at his numbers and um, like, he's just losing a ton of money. And like, it's, it's a matter of months, maybe days before it, it, he shuts down anyways. Mm-hmm. So it, there wasn't like there was any value to it. But when I looked at his business, he had Health Canada license. He had um, the equipment, he had the staff. So he had everything there. What he was lacking was sales. He didn't have any customers. Like his, you know, his burn rate was far too high. He just didn't have enough money coming in. 
to, to keep the company afloat. At that time, I'm looking at my cost of goods and you know, we were sitting at about 4 million a year. Um, and, and I'm like, you know what? I can probably section off 500,000. And if I could send 500,000 out of this 4 million over to my own manufacturing, that's enough revenue to keep my lights on. Yeah. And that's as simple as that was. So I paid nothing for it because it was a dud, but I, I saw that potential in what it could be if, if I could solve that one piece of the puzzle, which was, it just needs some revenue. That's it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, so then I got, I brought in the manufacturing into the fold and we already had the distribution and, and that's what I ran with. And then years later, it was moving it all out to uh, BC in 2015. Um, when I bought a building, I bought a, a large 33,000 square foot building out here because I was still feeling all overconfident in, in my <laughs> <laughs> borrowing abilities. Yeah. But again, you know, you, you like, you know, I remember I went to the bank and, and, um, like that, it was a, it was a big building out here. And, but I was going to then move my manufacturing, my distribution and everything under one roof out here. And, and which would satisfy both a personal need or want, I should say, not a need, but a personal want, which was to live in the Okanagan. And then also, of course, um, bring all my operations under one roof. That was the yeah. intent. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we talked about this, might even been the last time you were over at our place there, just about that transition and the fact that you had all of these amazing people that had been working with you for years and years in Saskatoon, like between you, your dad, the whole transition of all these things. So like 30 years, I'm sure, I'm not sure exactly, but some, you know, some of them probably were with you for decades, you know? Yep. And then, you know, not all of them, in fact, many of them didn't come with, right? And naturally now you've got all of these, you know, numbers making sense as far as you got the plants, you got the money, you got the loans, you got all these things, but now maybe the people, you didn't have the people that were there on the journey with you. And I'm actually just looking at this right now. Cause I remember, I was trying to remember when this was, it was like 2009 or 2010 when I was in the airport and I wow. saw your, and I saw your mug on a magazine. I was like, what? I know this guy. Right. And it was Franchise Canada magazine that said a natural leader on it. And then I didn't even move these magazines next to them. They were just right there. Entrepreneur was right next to it. 10 ideas to make you a better leader. Next to that, Forbes. And I snapped that photo for you. And I know you still have it on a few uh, social accounts and stuff too. But how has that um, been a part of your journey? Because I know when you work with companies now in the role that you position yourself in as an advisor, as a trusted advisor, mentor, coach, a big part of any business growth has to be the people, right? And how you lead the people and how really like the CEO slash owner's job, their primary job is really to make sure that the people are good and that they're empowered and that they're running things efficiently. Give me a sense of what that was like over the years. Because you were pretty young when you first jumped into the family business, right? And naturally, I'm sure you didn't have those innate skills, but maybe some of those things were coming across from your dad too. Because I remember, I just remember your dad, who's of course passed now, but he was um, he was just such a great people person, wasn't he? Like he was just the kind of person that you just love to work with and for and um, go to battle with. Yeah, and obviously. Uh, that- yeah, yeah, he um, he built up a, a huge, uh, good reputation in the business world, uh, especially in the franchising sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people at the Canadian Franchise Association that still bring up his name uh, to this day uh, when I'm out and 
and about in these uh, areas of the world. And it's, it's, you know, he built up a, a, an amazing reputation as a good, honest, um, tough businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he, um, you know, he, he knew how to put on the gloves um, <laughs> and, and, and go to battle, um, you know, but always with respect. And, and again, but at the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, building business. So, yeah, you know, um, I, th- I think um, part of part of the early journey of, um, you know, the, the people side of it, um, you know, I, I, I wrote this into a, an ebook that I, I put together and it was a little bit of, um, you know, storytelling after my dad had passed, uh, you know, and maybe it was personal healing on my part. Um, but, but I was, you know, in, in this book, I, I talk about, um, why was I, uh, assistant captain or captain of almost every hockey team I was on from the time I was about 10 or 12 years old through until I was 21, 22. And, you know, I wasn't ever the best player. I never played, uh, NHL. I know, you know, I, I was never drafted in that, but why was I either the captain or assistant captain on every team? And it's my belief as a parent, it wasn't until my early 20s when I became a parent that, um, that I really thought about the why behind that. And, and I do believe that leadership is a learned trait. And, and when I look back at my life, even my dad, he would say things to me on the bench. He used to coach me when I was 10 years old. He'd say, you know, uh, if you want the boys to, you know, get out there and, and toughen up, then you got to go toughen up and get out there and show them. Yeah. And lead you want from them the front, to be disciplined, right? Yeah. You want them to be disciplined, then you got to be disciplined, stay out of the penalty box, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever it was. And, and, and then he would just drop these little things like, you know, your, your buddies are all watching you. Just, just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And, and it was almost like without trying to say, you know, I want you to be a leader or I'm showing you how to be a leader. He was grooming me in some subconscious way. And, yeah. and it's my belief that, so then naturally, maybe as a 14-year-old, 16-year-old, 18-year-old, I carried myself, or maybe I internally believed that I was the leader, that then that's what the coaches saw, was this guy's naturally just a leader. Just, you know, like it makes sense to give him the A or give him the C. Like, and it wasn't about the, the you know, you being the best at it. It was, it's that leadership. So, you know, from, from my story, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've grown up believing that I was a leader. So then it, it wasn't a surprise that I was running Sangsters and it wasn't a surprise that I ended up buying it because in my mind, these are things that, you know, it's just leadership and running. Now, what I didn't know and do now about the leadership topic is I took it for granted that going to, so my father would uh, walk around the office in the morning, first thing in the morning, he would talk to the warehouse, talk to the accounting, talk to the sales, and he would burn 45 minutes to an hour doing his round. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it was. When I became uh, owner and, and president, I did my round. It was just what we did. It was what I knew. It was, you know, part of the you know, process. So you're standing in the back with the warehouse staff, you're having your coffee, you're, you're asking them how their night was or about the football game that was on last night, whatever the case is. But you're being a real person regardless of your status in an organization. And you're yeah. giving 
all these staff members FaceTime every day and it's unscripted. It's just, you know, you're, you're just doing your rounds. Yeah. And, and you're not talking business. You're just talking. And when, when I was transitioning out to BC and looking for a president, so I remained on as CEO, but I was looking for a president. I remember going through uh, my candidates and checking off things like, do they have the respect? Do they have the knowledge? Do they have all these things? You know, are they experienced in, in all these different areas? And it was, yes, yes, yes. You know, all the boxes are checked. I know who I'm, I'm selecting. We're, we're good to go. It wasn't until a few years later that I realized the leadership component isn't natural to everybody. I, I just assumed it was because that's how it was in my world. Yeah. But, but some people are, are soldiers forever. They'll, they'll, they'll work 14-hour days if you ask them to, even if you don't ask them to. Like they'll, they'll, they're your soldier forever. But, but I didn't ask myself the important question. So, you know, looking at my life, yes. Now, given that same scenario, you have to look at, you know, the, the, the qualifications of a candidate, so to speak. But you also have to ask yourself, are they a leader? Because it's those little things that are, that are you know, they make up the organization when, when you're at the top. It's, it's that not looking at that burnt hour walking around as wasted time because it's building the morale and keeping your team alive and happy and, and functioning. And so, yes, others, you might even look at it and go, geez, you know, I could, I could do something else for these 45 minutes and, and better utilize the time for the business. But, you know, that it, it's an incorrect thought because that 45 minutes is critical to, to the well-being of the organization as a whole. Yeah. The thought that comes to mind and the first one that just came to mind is Gary Vaynerchuk actually has a new book out or coming out right away called 12 and a half, where he talks about emotional intelligence and the importance of it in leadership and the soft skills as opposed to the hard skills, because the hard skills are taught either in school, school of hard knocks, through mentorship, whatever. But the soft skills are like empathy, caring. You know, like not looking at your profit and loss statement and trying to make the numbers work, but actually looking at the people and how you, how can you make this work for them? How can you make their time working with the company a part of their best life, helping them achieve that life goal of getting a house or whatever it might be, right? Knowing that it actually takes care of the profit and loss statement if you could take care of the people, right? So... <laughs> There's a shift happening and and it's not just happening. It's been happening for quite a while, but I think it's becoming very obvious that um, yes, you have to have some of the foundational pieces of running a profitable business, right? You need to know your numbers. You need to you know, learn the skills of negotiation. You have to be, get good at sales because a lot of times that's where many, many businesses fail. And I know that's usually when you work with clients, a lot of times I'm sure that's one of the first things you come in is like, let's fix the sales. And then you get in there and you realize like, you guys know there's actually like four other things that are contributing to the lack of sales here. And a lot of it ends up coming back to these exact things, right? And this is why it's so important to have a, an outside perspective as well as an advisor, as a mentor, as a coach, um, when you're running a business and you have big dreams and goals. So 
Uh, I'm glad we got to touch on that. I, I want to ask you a handful of questions here, uh, Daryl, kind of in a standard format of what we do. And I know you know this one, but there's this book. The one thing that I read that I really aligned with as far as like focus and, you know, uh, intentional actions and that type of thing. And now my mind's also is very creative too. So I'm almost, I'm also like, but I also want to do everything as opposed to just pigeonhole myself. But these questions are really focused around one thing. That's the whole theme around it. So, um, you good to go? I got about six questions for you. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. So the first question I got for you is who is one person or mentor that has been the most influential in your life all time and why? I'll give you. I'll give you two. Uh, my father. Uh, I was blessed to have an entrepreneurial father, so he was my big. He he was the one I would lean on all the time, without question. I'd I'd send him a text, call him anytime. Uh, and Robert Kiyosaki. Um, mm. So rich dad, poor dad. Um, so my father introduced me to Robert Kiyosaki's uh, books and teachings back in two thousand and one, um, and. You know, I, I gobbled up uh, what he was uh, putting down in his books and, and the philosophy and the way he he perceives assets and liabilities and the differences between what the bank perceives as an asset and a liability and what you perceive as an asset and a liability. And and either it puts money in your bank account or it takes money out. And and Kiyosaki's way of looking at it is very black and white. Like it's mm-hmm. it's either one of those two things. Perfect. Next question, who is one person or mentor that you would say is the most influential in your life right now? So in this moment, in your current reality. Oh, who is the most influential? Um, well, I can, I can tell you that. Uh, and again, you, your head might grow here, but, but you, <laughs> you helped me uh, cross a bridge that I didn't know I could ever get across. And, and just to tell the listeners briefly, um, I wanted, I've always been in a, a physical product selling position. I've always sold tangible items and it was supplements mostly. Now, when I went to you, uh, Trevor, um, I said, look, I, I want to coach. I want to be a mentor. I have all this experience in franchising, but I don't know how to actually sell something that's just knowledge and how to even have a product because every product I've ever had has been physical. I can touch it, feel it, see it, put a label on it, et cetera. And so, yes, uh, transitioning from a product-based world into a digital virtual world of selling, um, you've been my mentor to bridge that and to show me that. I, I went to you with that idea and that's where the franchise Wolf came up. And, yeah. and stuff. but, but it was okay. My question was, how do I, like, I have all this knowledge. What do I do now? And like you alluded to at the beginning of this segment, um, we all want to do everything and sell to everybody. And at that time I'm like, wow, but, but I could sell to like, I, I could help, you know, the local guy with one store and, and <laughs> has no aspirations of franchising and I can help this guy and I can help this guy. And, and through working with you, um, it was okay. Refine this, refine this, bring this down, you know, rein all this in into one concept. And so then my, um, result of that is I help franchisors expand mm-hmm. and, and it's easy for my clients to understand. It's easy for me to understand. It's easy for me to look in the mirror and go, what do, what do I actually do? Well, you know what? 
a franchisor wants to expand. I help them. Now, that could go down literally 36 different roads, but, yeah. uh, you know, but that's where I come in and help, but yet to, to portray that. So to answer your question, sir, you. Amazing. Well, I'll take it. I, one of the things I'm constantly working on myself personally is just being able to accept um, uh, positive feedback and to allow it to land because it's very similar to what you know your story is. And this is why I love working with uh, entrepreneurs that are coaches, consultants, mentors, that type of thing is that we speak the same language. We've been down the same path. So all of those experiences you had in the franchise world of buying buildings and going through an acquisition and a buyback and people and all these things, it's the same for me. You know, I've been down the journey of knowing what doesn't work and feeling the pain of all of that to understand the least path of resistance, knowing full well. And then the same with you and working with your clients, you still have to play the game, right? And that's a great analogy, actually, with the, you know, even with our background in hockey too, right? Like you can watch all the film you want. You still got to show up. You still got to play the game. You still got to take your licks. Still got to score your goals, celebrate the wins, the losses, everything in between. So excellent answer. I love that one. Um, (laughs) Good. Next question. What is one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why? Um, I, I, would, I would have to say that it's, um, you know, uh, the uh, abused women. Um, I, I have a, um, a family of daughters. So, of course, uh, that's always conscious of me, uh, who they date, what they're going to be like in their 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, you know, and, and trying to prepare them for that. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to know and work with a few different companies that, uh, work with women that are, um, either abused or in abusive relationships and, and need to get out and, and stuff like that. So from, from that aspect, uh, that's probably, uh, the biggest, uh, driving force behind, um, that side of my world. Yeah, that's a good one. Too, just from the perspective, because I know this would take us down a whole nother path, which we won't have time to talk about here, but maybe we can revisit in the future on another interview because the intention is to always like continuously interview the people that I have on this podcast. But the state of the world that we're in right now, there's a lot to unpack there. But some of the byproducts that we're not talking about is domestic abuse. It is just uh, violence in general, right? Like we, you hear the stats and there's all kinds of skewed numbers and stuff. Um, not only with the COVID stuff, but everything else. And just the other day, I heard about you know the fact that like crime is down in Vancouver, and yet the sample that they were looking at was over a time period where everybody was locked in their houses for six months. Well, of course the crime went down, but in the time that they unlocked and started to allow people out, it's like three times what it was before. Divorces that are at an all time high. It's such an incredible topic, and it's actually one of the things that I'm passionate about too, just on the macro level of like how to be a better man, how to raise better men. And you're speaking to it too, right? Like you have daughters. How important is it for them to find men that are truly men in this world, right? That operate from integrity and, and, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like again, we we talked about the vulnerability of, of this podcast and, and yes, you know, I, I was separated uh, for a little over four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to the dating side and that and being a dad and, and also trying to have a 
somebody in your life to share your life experiences with, of course, that, that opens the door to how do you date? And uh, I'm going to share one story with you because it, it was... Uh, so the first couple of years, uh, of course, I was dating, but my girls never saw me ever date. The, mm. So in, in my scenario, it was uh, week on, week off. So the girls were with me Monday or Sunday to Sunday, and then they were not with me for a week. So it was in the weeks where they were at their mom's that I would go out and date. They didn't see that. But the weeks that, that I had the girls, I was a dad and I, you know, I was just a boring dad. That's what they saw. I, I wasn't going out and having fun and, you know, doing this stuff. I was just being dad. Fast forward a couple of years into my separation, we're driving around. We have hot chocolate. We're looking here in Kelowna. There's a place called Candy Cane Lane and it's Christmas time. We're driving around with hot chocolate, looking at Christmas lights. My yep. one daughter in the back seat, she says, you know, dad, I think you should get a dog. And I said, I said, I said, well, we already share a dog. He goes back and forth with you girls. I said, I don't need a dog. And she says, well, I think you're lonely. And, and it broke my heart because here again, they like, I was proud that, that I wasn't opening up that side. They, they, I didn't never wanted to be that dad that had these women coming over and the girls seeing all this because that's, Yes, I understood as part of the process, but it's not something that I wanted them to see is, mm. you know, you dating somebody for a month and then dating somebody different for another month and then dating somebody different for another month and, and just trying to figure out who your next life partner is in your journey. So I sheltered them from that. So I was proud, but yet they, they saw me as this boring dad who just stayed at home. <laughs> and I, I remember I, I turned around in the back seat. And I said to Madison, I said, Madison, I said, I don't need a dog. I need a woman. Well, she just just burst out laughing. And and that was, and again, like we said, the the healing from the separation was already two years down the line. We were starting as a family, you know, um, all those wounds were were healed or healing. And, And it wasn't such a raw topic like it was at the beginning. So we were able to joke about that. And, and now to this day, um, again, they, they've met my girlfriends and, and that kind of stuff. But again, I don't, I don't open that door to, um, just anyone. Um, you know, one of the girls I dated, it was six months before my girls actually got to introduce, got introduced to her because mm-hmm. I, I had to keep it because I, it was just one thing I just never wanted to, um, do because when we talk about being that parent, that's that piece of, you know, they're going to look at me as the, the type of man, some characteristics that yep. they see in their future husbands or boyfriends or partners or whatever. Yep. So I have to make sure that those morals and those boundaries are set. Absolutely. No, and I know your girls mean the world to you. I was looking at some of your posts over the years, always doing my research before these. And, um, you know, you speak about them a lot as um, them being a foundation to your why. And naturally, I think our conversation has kind of alluded to how, you know, that's and where your time and efforts and stuff have even shifted over over time too, right? And knowing that your journey's been perfect and now you have a different perspective and a focus on what you're doing than maybe you did 20 years ago, but it's it's part of the process too, right? And hopefully anybody else listening to this too will help that, you know, just ground in them too, that... uh, you know, if, if your family is number one, then take a look at your actions in your life and really analyze 
Are they? And if not, what needs to change, right? Little habits, one thing at a time. So it's an important piece to talk about here. Yeah. Okay. Couple more questions, Daryl. What is one thing you are most grateful for right now? Oh, uh, health, my health. Mm. Um, yeah, it, hands down, um, money, anything that it, it, again, without, without that health piece, um, and, and we've all experienced family members, we've all experienced different challenges with health. And, and again, the one, the one when it keeps coming back is I think of Steve Jobs. You know, here's, here's a guy with mountains of dollars, but yeah. he couldn't stop the health from uh, doing its thing. And, and so again, it's, it's the one piece that, that um, you know, I think it, it doesn't matter what we do, whether I sell franchises, whether I help people, whether I sell pills and, and a mass amount of money. That's to me, it's, it's the health. It's, it's the, the one thing that I'm most grateful for. That's a good one for sure. What is one thing you are most curious about right now and looking to learn more about, explore further? NFTs. Mm. Yeah. So uh, on a personal level, I'm, I'm big into the crypto uh, space. And most recently, I've been trying to figure out the NFTs and, and reading and watching uh, a ton on that and and just wrapping my brain around how all these, I guess, gurus are, are perceiving these NFTs to be uh, wrapping this this whole economic globe in, in these things. So I find it in, incredibly interesting um, yeah. piece of the puzzle right now. For sure. It's fascinating. I've had the conversation with a couple of people on the podcast, even that are artists and getting their perspective from the artist perspective and whatnot. And it's an area that I'm interested in too. And it, and it does come with those elements of like, this doesn't even make sense to me. What's going on here? I need to learn more. And then you pick up one thing. I know for me, this is how it's been is somebody will explain it in a way where I'll go, Ooh, Oh, 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 I see how that ties to this. But I could hear the same thing 12 times and never have it land, right? And I, and I think the lesson I take from that always, though, too, is like, oh, this is just another challenge, another thing that I get to navigate. And I'm so grateful that my brain works that way, you know, that I don't get down on myself to say, like, I'm never going to know this social media thing. Like, it's one of the uh, blessings I think I've had in my own, um, you know, journey even, too, is like social media is a great example. Like, when social media hit... Nobody believed it would be what it is today, you know, the good and the bad. And I dove into it head first at a time when everybody thought I was insane. And I had a hobby for like three years because I couldn't really build a business around it. And I I look at NFTs the same way where I'm like, let me just go be curious about this. Don't judge myself. Don't think that you're stupid for not understanding it. And everybody knows more than you. Just be open-minded. Explore, right? Like, yeah, I sit there and I, I hear all these people talking about NFTs. And then I'm like, I don't even know what it stands for. So here I have <laughs> I've mispronounced it like a half a dozen times on this podcast yeah. alone. Yeah. Like, you know, just, just to non-fungible token, yeah. and, you know, like, and, and then what does that really mean? And, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Cause you got everything from artists to um, musics uh, to uh, digital to physical assets. Like, these things and basically the the one the one way it was uh one person explained to me was uh think of it like trading cards you know where 
you only yeah. have, you know, one or two Babe Ruth cards, of course they're worth millions in prime condition because there's only a couple available. Yeah. So the NFTs are similar because you can have one raw recording of Garth Brooks where it's his and everything yeah. else is a copy of the original recording. So yeah. that original recording, if that's NFT'd, that, that's proof that that's the one. All, every other version of the song is just a replica of yeah. that first one. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I, I'm sure I'll be talking about a lot more over the next year here. So I'll share with you too, and I'll link up assets and resources for people if they're hearing this and going, "What is this NFT thing?" I'll, I'll, I'll start start your journey down that path. So, um, one last question for you, Daryl: What yeah. is one thing that scares you right now that you know you need to meet with bravery? That, that that's a fantastic question. Um, so I'm not vaccinated. Um, I, I find it a, an incredible challenge. Um, I have my reasons. I'm not conspiracy theorist. Um, and so of course, uh, I am blessed that my ex-wife, uh, isn't as well. So we're not part of that family dynamic where the husband and the wife have different views. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm grateful that, that we both have the same view on that. So naturally our children are following our lead. Um, now I find it hard. I'm 47 years old to uh, coexist in this world today um, as a non-vaxxed. Um, it's a tremendous amount of, of pressure. And, and there's a, uh, you ask about strength and, and bravery and, and it's hard. I find it hard as a 47 year old man to operate in this world without getting angry at, yeah. at everything and, and point my finger at everybody else. I can't imagine what my 15 year old daughter is facing and and we talk about this often her and I because I feel terrible that I can't come in and save the day for her like like I said I'm 47 and I feel the pressure I can't imagine what she feels from her girlfriends in the you know hallway at school in grade 10 yeah. I I just you know, like you know so that navigating this landscape that that's that's the um I guess the the bravery where I need to pull from that, that courage uh, in, in my world today, that's where it lies. Yeah, that's a good one. I can uh, relate as well. I'm also not vaccinated, also not an anti-vaxxer, also not a conspiracy theorist, but just somebody that does their due diligence, just like we were talking about curiosity on NFTs. Like I've gone down the rabbit hole on many different paths. And I have the same kind of thoughts as other people where uh, that's kind of amplified over time here where it's like, what do I trust? I, I don't know. There's, and there's parts of me that gets anxiety over it. There's parts of me that gets angry about it. There's parts of me that, you know, I have two kids that are under the age of what they're even talking about for potential vaccines. Right. But Logan, my oldest is turning five. And now they're talking about approving a five to 11 Pfizer vaccine. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to face this at some point. And I know that I can't face it with anger because it's just not, it's not going to serve anybody, you know? So I'm, I'm sitting with like, how do I have empathy for every person's perspective? How do I approach this from a place of understanding that like what's right for me might not be right for the next person. And it's such a crazy world that we're navigating on this, but I, I totally 100% align with you on that one too, because it, it does, I do think of it as having to meet it with bravery and not bravery from the perspective of like, Let's go to battle, but rather like, how do I approach this topic with empathy 
more than anything, you know? Uh, and no one, I talk to a, how do you talk to your kids with strength yeah. without having anger of who's right and who's wrong? Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, you know, that, that's that internal strength. I, I find that me reaching deep into myself on a regular basis, more so now on this topic than, than I have in, in a lot of my life. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. I think there's a lot of people feeling that same thing too, and not everybody speaking out loud about it. I know that's one of the things that's, uh, um, you know, a mandate, something that's a mission for me to speak more about in 2022, like heading into the new year here too, is to bring on people that have different perspectives around that topic and how it's impacting family and relationships and business and everything else, because it's what we need to be talking about right now and doing it from a place of, just curiosity and exploration. So I'm glad we got to address that, even if it was only just a little sliver. Um, but hey, Daryl, just want to acknowledge you, man, for uh, coming on, speaking uh, honestly, vulnerably, truthfully from your perspective at this moment in your life. And like I said, I have full intention to on bringing every guest back too, because our beliefs change, our life perspective change, things happen in our lives, right? So Sharing that journey is a part of it, right? Knowing that it actually is a journey. It's never about the end destination. It's the journey and the people that we share with. So yeah, just grateful to have you in my life, man, because you've been a champion for the stuff that I do for years and years when other people might've looked at me and said, you're a little bit crazy. You kind of looked at it and went, well, that's interesting. I don't understand it, but maybe you can help me out there a little bit. So I feel like we've We've had some good synergy over the years and I'm looking forward to the many, many years to come as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much there, Trev. I really appreciate the time here on your podcast and uh, wish you all the best in, in your audience here. This has yeah. been amazing. Thanks, man. So how can people find out more about you, connect with you, figure out how you can yeah. be that support system, especially on the business side, like any franchisors listening to this, yeah. you owe yourself to have a conversation with Daryl. Um, to see what is possible that you don't even know yet is possible. <laughs> That's the insight you get from somebody like Daryl with his 30 plus years experience in this space. So how can people find out more? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sangstefranchisegroup.com or simply type in Daryl Sangster into Google and you'll find me on LinkedIn and, and uh, Instagram and, and Twitter and everything will point back to me. You'll, you'll be able to find me uh, quite easily and um, help you from, from that aspect. And, and again, it's, it really is like, I, I was on a brief uh, conversation with a, a young uh, franchisor yesterday morning who I responded to a LinkedIn message at seven in the morning. And by seven 30, he phones my cell. Mm. And, and, and <laughs> like, I, I'm like, Oh, well, I'm having my morning coffee, but what, how are you? <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, he, he was full on because I, I guess, you know, he just put two and two together that oh, he must be with his phone right now and responding to messages. So he just called me. But again, that conversation was, we were having a conversation over, I was trying to paint a picture of what year three and four and five and six of his franchise and what his franchisees might be feeling in those years because they become confident and, and question, why am I still paying royalties when I already know what I'm doing now? And again, and that only pops up in year four and five and six of a franchise agreement. And if you're in a 10-year agreement, you gotta you gotta be prepared to have these conversations. Well, he he's only a three-year franchisor, so you know, his world, he's still in the honeymoon phase. Everybody's happy about everything right now. Yep. 
one of 470 possible scenarios that could manifest <laughs> in the world of that, that space. Um, and again, just another good reason to even just reach out and have a human conversation over the phone. Imagine that, right? I know. Let's bypass all this technology and actually talk to people. Yeah. Sounds like a great sales strategy. So. Yeah. And you know, I, I did. I just, I just set up a Zoom coffee meeting with a guy from uh, Prince Edward Island for next week. And, nice. and again, we, we know each other in the franchise sector, but it was like, you know what? I don't want to have just a, a phone call. Just let's have a coffee. And, yeah. you know, just... I don't want to have an agenda. I just want to catch up with you, except we're, we're literally across the country. Yeah. So let's just have a coffee. That's it. And just have a chat like we are, you and I are right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the blessings that we have in this digital world, even though you still can't replace a handshake and a hug, but um, we'll do the best with the tech that we have. So thanks again for doing this, Daryl. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Trev. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 